This week on Dave and Dom Demystify, we'll be talking about gamification. <laughs> well, I always thought I'd make a splendid game show host. In fact, I can see it now. Watch Dave and Dom challenge the contestants to crawl through a sewer full of rats and vipers and pernicious poisonous platypi and discarded trousers and all the rubbish people flush down the loo when they think no one's watching. Brilliant, Dave said. Game over. From the studios of Contrarian, new media in the UK and US, comes the Dave and Dom Demystify Show. Dave and Dom Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Dom Mystery. Demystify. Welcome to the Dave and Dom Demystify Show. And today, we're really lucky to have our first international guest speaking from down under. It's Colin Weir. Welcome, Colin. Oh, thanks, Dom. Thanks, Dave. Nice to continue this journey between the three of us. It's fabulous. Well, welcome to the podcast. And I'd just like to point out up front that we are not related, despite the fact that we look very similar. Hey, Colin. We do, indeed. <laughs> Well, obviously, the audience is not going to be able to tell that on this podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> I've got a beautiful face for radio. Yeah, the other thing is they probably don't know you, Colin. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, of course, Dom, you and I go back a long way. So we both had fintech businesses in London in the late 90s. So whilst you and Dave were at Internet, we had a internet banking company called JCP and we... Uh, built the UK's first certification authority, the issuance of digital certificates, and then went on to build internet banking for a whole bunch of people and kind of been doing it ever since. And today I have a new generation of that idea because this is called Moroku. Wow. So are you claiming that you have delivered more internet banking than me and Dave or? (laughs) (laughs) Mate, I would never. That's quite simply not possible. So um... Absolutely not possible. Nobody on the planet has. I've got to say, I've been really looking forward to this session because you're covering a topic that's kind of very dear to my heart and, you know, people talk about it a lot, but I'm not sure everyone really understands it, right? So if you can just tell us a little bit about your company, but really what the focus is and the whole topic of this kind of gamification. Yeah. So the background's important, Dan, right? And, you know, we've all been doing this internet banking, digital banking thing for what is now, you know, well over 20 years. And during that 20 years, there's been a prevalent design paradigm called ease of use. So the whole model of digital banking has always been, you know, let's give people access to their money 24 by 7. That'll be great for them and it'll be great for us for a whole bunch of reasons we all know about or think we know about. But as we wind the clock forward through that, two decades of internet banking, what we've found now is that the whole thing has become massively commoditized. Everyone's looks the same because they've used the same design paradigm. And so two things have come out of it, in our opinion. 
And the first thing is everyone's the same and therefore everyone needs to think about how do they be different and how do they tell a different story. But the second thing is that the data is all telling us that our financial wellness or our ability to you know, run and manage our financial lives is going backwards. And we certainly see things like the buy now, pay later schemes, you know, continuing this thing of making money so slippery that people just go backwards all the time. And so we think there's an opportunity to build banks and financial services providers that aren't predicated on customers losing, but that are actually predicated on customers winning and that banks can win by helping their customers win as an idea. And we believe through our research that the only way to build digital experiences that allow customers to win is to use game theory and game science to build player journeys that allow them to overcome challenges, build skills, compete, connect, and have some fun. So that's really interesting. I mean, I completely agree with what you're saying. The experience is very dear to my heart. So I guess what would be good is to understand sort of the application of that game theory. So, you know, what's some examples and, you know, I guess what's some use cases? Yeah. So, you know, I would say banking can be kind of broken down to sort of two or three core ideas and they are saving, spending and lending. And oftentimes there's not much more to it than that. They'll be pretty good at complicating it. So... You know, if we think about those three groups, it's interesting to answer your question, Dave. So on the savings side, there's an increasing movement that's recognising that in order to teach people how to save, you know, really, really good to start that journey early and build great beliefs and values around money and build savings products for children that are connected into the banking environment. So that's just a perfect example where if you made it easy to use, the kids would look at it and go, what's this about? Because they're spending all of their time in Fortnite and Candy Crush. So, you know, they demand and expect a gamified user experience. And you can use these things to build habits and gamifying it so it's an experience that they're kind of used to and familiar with. So that'd be one example. On the lending front, I just think, you know, most financial organisations pay an enormous amount of focus to the funnel and the pre-sales effort of getting people on, you know, selling people mortgages and loans. But very, very little effort, you know, thought about is how do you get the customer to actually own a home and how do you reward and recognise and encourage them to do that because they've got a lot of work to do. And if you can do that properly around recognising some of those great milestones, you know, at the very, very end might be the day that you paid your mortgage off, you know, really good opportunity for a celebration, but most banks think that that's the end of the world because they've just lost a customer. So really I'll turn the whole thing on its head and really celebrate in a digital environment that moment, but also many of the other moments along the way to really help them know that the bank has got their back and that they're supporting them through that journey through a whole bunch of, you know, game mechanics. I think that's great to hear. I think also, you know, sometimes when people talk about gamification, that they think it's actually like playing a game, right? So without the kind of visual game element to this, can you delve into a bit more detail just to kind of talk a bit more about the game mechanics? What kind of things are going on in the background to make this different? Yeah, right. Good. Good, Tom. So, you know, what's going on in the background is, is that we're using data platforms to really, really do two things, to understand where the customer is in their journey, right, to figure out, you know, this idea of levels. Are they a novice? Are they getting better? Are they a master? Are they a coach, right? So all the way from a five-year-old to Yoda, 
where are they at in terms of their own financial journey and using you know machine learning and data platforms to really really figure all of that stuff out and then as we go through those challenges and as we go through what we call progressions then make sure that we are letting the customer know and that we're being part of that celebration in the same way that the fitness apps do. So if you look at any of the fitness apps, whether it be Strava or the Apple Health platform, they're really, really good at rewarding habit building through streaks and awards and points, really, really good at setting up competitions that help people kind of stick at it the whole time and lots of opportunities for sharing in a social platform so that people are not only understanding how they're doing individually, but they kind of really, really like this competition idea. I've been doing some research recently with some 20-somethings and they all talk about wanting to buy a house by the time they're 30. So, you know, I guess they're looking at a 10-year horizon in terms of saving up a deposit in order to do that. And I can imagine situations where people get halfway through and then decide, well, actually, I'll spend that money on a holiday rather than a house because I've forgotten why I started down this path. So I can sort of see how you know, using things like, I don't know, encouragement badges and that can really keep people kind of focused on the sort of end game. When you talked about mortgages, Colin, is that the sort of thing you're thinking about as well? Yeah, you know, the mortgage is a good example for kind of two reasons. First of all, it is the revenue engine for most banks, right? So if you want to do something, you might as well do something that has a significant impact. That's what would be interesting for banks to look at this. But when you look at the customer's perspective, it's also a really, really big deal for them, right? I mean, most people spend their lives inside of a mortgage. In most of the developed world, people go into retirement just getting that bit done. And it's just a grind, just an absolute grind. And it's a very, very lonely grind that it's easy just to walk away from and and not feel any particular connection to. And that's why you get tons of churn, right? Because with that disengaged platform that most of them are, it gets to renewal time, whatever that might be, and people just go hunting on price because they don't have any real sense that the mortgage provider cares about where they are at, and then most people think that they just want them to go backwards. So just building that emotional connection with the customer by recognising the hard work through notifications and some of these points and prizes and letting them know how well they're doing to just drive that connection and help people through that tough time just seems to make a lot of sense. Brilliant. I mean, you talked earlier about ease of use as a design paradigm, but is this what it's about in gamification or is it ease of design still fit for purpose? You know, what's your views on that? Not in a standalone sense, Dan, right? So we know that when you open up an app, you kind of have to figure it out pretty quickly, right? So there's a thing there. So the overall look and feel ease of use still has some purpose but what's changed is that it hasn't got us where we wanted to do in terms of financial fitness and so we need something else to keep people engaged and not only that when we think about the applications that we all use whether you're a five-year-old a 15-year-old or a 50-year-old we are narcissistic we have this need to figure out where we're fitting in and how we're doing it are we making the right choices are we doing dumb things are we doing great things You know, we really expect our apps to speak to us now and give us these call to actions and give us the support. And therefore, ease of use as it stands on its own is no longer fit for purpose. The application paradigm has completely changed. 
and it, people's expectations and needs have changed. The world's got a lot more complicated. So you can't just look at it as a singular kind of linear journey. You must recognise that life's a maze and you're going to get stuck and you're going to come off the rails a few times. And so it's incumbent on banks to kind of figure out these guardrails be data-driven around it and really, really be the financial institution that the regulators want you to be to really, really take your customers on these journeys of financial fitness and look after them. You can't do that with ease of use as a design paradigm because it's an oversimplification of what's going on. If ease of use, is dad is a design principle. Dave, are you redundant or what? No, well, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think, in fairness, Colin is saying that ease of use is redundant. I think you still need to make things usable. But I think what I understand, Colin, you're actually saying is that the experiences that are out there tend to be very passive. And I think what is the kind of customer expectation is experiences need to be a lot more active now so they need to be bringing you ideas they need to be bringing you help support thoughts sort of nuggets which you can really kind of use as part of an engagement and I guess that sort of changed over the last few years as sort of people have had greater expectations of digital because of things like social media. Colin from your point of view do you think sort of an anthropological level that's what's going on look the thing that we also know is that we're actually hardwired for games and social right so as well as walking down the street you know you can walk into the jungle and you can see all animals teach people life skills and they're through these inherent ideas of games it's just how we get better at stuff right We level up, we take on challenges, we play with people that are about the same level as us and we get better and we build and we build and we build and we go. There's just tons and tons of research anthropologically that describe this idea to us, that recognises that life's a maze, it's not simple, it's complex and gamifying it and introducing competition. We're just hardwired for it. And when I say that, you just sit there and you go, yeah, yeah, that's what I love to do, right? I love to understand the rules of the game and understand feedback in real time. I like to know when I've won and when I've lost and who's winning and who's not. It's like, it's a thing. So there's a lot of evidence that says we're hardwired for games to help us figure out the maze. And we're just really, really good at doing that together, right? Because it secures our future, right? We all know social's a thing. And social's a thing to make sure that we, you know, procreate and create the next generation, right? So we're in it. These ideas aren't new, Games aren't new. Being social is not new. We're just figuring out how to take them and put them into this digital world that we live in in 2020. And none of that is simple enough just to make it easy to use. No, it's interesting. One other thing that I guess I wanted to talk about was financial wellness. So, you know, again, in terms of some of the things which I'm very interested at the moment, you kind of see that there's gaps between people's understanding of finance and the reality of finance you know banks have sort of looked to solve i guess financial wellness by having pfm as a solution and that doesn't ever really seem to have sort of solved the problem what's your views on things like pfm and some of the other things that banks are doing and ways that they could be kind of evolved to be a lot lot more useful from a customer point of view Lovely question, Dave. Let's be clear that PFMs have been around banking for as long as I've been around banking. So more than two decades old, this idea of get all your money in a single pane of glass. Well, Citibank did it in the late 90s. 
didn't work for them then, won't work for them now. And the reason is, is that they just don't speak to you, right? Here's all your bills and here's how little money you've got. The customer looks at it and goes, oh, thanks very much, as if I needed to know that. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. So you need to break it down into much more simpler steps for people to understand, you know, what's the current call to action? Well, if you're so smart, what's the one thing I should be doing tomorrow? That's what they really want to know. And as I said, because it is very, very different and it is very difficult and it's very, very hard, a little bit of support and recognition wouldn't go amiss. No, I think it's really interesting. And again, I think that kind of making the experience more active, definitely something that banks need to be doing. But I also like the idea of learning through scenario planning. So I guess there's other things out there in terms of financial things like investments where I can see how game theory could apply to that. Just as a final thought, is there applications beyond retail banking that you can see? What's your views on what the future might be? Well, I think when we stand up and have a macro view of what's going on economically, you know, we're seeing this massive concentration of wealth and we're seeing more and more people underserved and unbanked and really, really struggling. So we know that financial literacy has failed, right? So running around with school rooms and teaching people the manuals and the thing, everyone just looks at it and goes, not bothered. You don't understand me, you're not helping and I don't want to read the manual. I just need an experience that helps me and do that. So I think... We'll see over time as regulators and banks start to understand these big underbanked and underserved segments that we'll absolutely see some of these ideas really, really start to be used. You know, as we move into beyond zero interest, right, everyone's worrying about, you know, how do we operate in a zero interest environment? Well, as you Europeans know, how do I operate in a negative interest rate environment? And so to do that, you know, the whole net interest income model and all of these things start to get absolutely squeezed and put under pressure where we start to have to think about, you know, what's the holistic financial world for the customer? What's the world they live in? And actually, how can we help as opposed to just the provision of loans in a deposit account and bringing groups and communities into there? So I think that will be very, very different as we try and get retirees and a bunch of other people out of cash and into income products. Well, that is a big step for them and a step that requires them to go on a journey of building skills and doing that in a way that is responsible in terms of the behaviours of the financial institutions providing them. So I think, again, it goes back to that idea that if we can be data-driven and build a set of guardrails to take customers on that journey, I think it very, very much is the future and goes back to solve the key problem. We talked about earlier on, is the banks have now arrived at 2020 and everyone's got the same thing. Everyone's got an app and you can do all of the same things with it's highly commoditized. And so the future will be one that's based on customer success and helping them achieve you know, the financial life they deserve. Brilliant. Colin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really, really interesting. And we really look forward to seeing how Morocco is going to evolve over the next few weeks, months and years. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you, Colin. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of Contrarian New Media, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.